Um, today we <clears throat> we are meeting to deal with the Division of Revenue bill. The presentation will be made by a PPO. So let me welcome uh, uh, the director, uh, Dr. Janchis, and the, and the PBO team who are going to take us to today's uh, uh, presentation. Um, so I think uh, this is our starting the meeting. Uh, Darren, can I check, are there any apologies? Good morning, Chairperson, honorable members and guests. No, we haven't received um, an, any apologies for today's meeting. However, I just received a message from Mr. Matafa. He is struggling to join the meeting. I will just try and assist him now um, once the PBO starts with their presentation. Okay, okay. Please, uh, please attend. At, <clears throat> please attend to uh, to to Mr. Matafa. Uh, once again, thank you so much, honorable members. Uh, Dr. Chanchis, um, please take us through your presentation um, you, with your team. You'll bring back the meeting to me once we are done with your presentations. As you know, after that, to then engage with the, uh, the, your presentation, um, allow you an opportunity to respond to those uh, <clears throat> issues that would have been raised by the honorable members. Just, uh, just to go one step back, all members, you remember that uh, um, the Minister of Finance presented a budget to Parliament. And then uh, what the process is thereafter is that uh, the Standing Committee on, fi on Finance uh, deals with the fiscal framework. And then from our side, standing committee on appropriations, we deal with the division of, 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 of revenue bill. So that's the, that's the process now. The, the, the fiscal framework will be debated at the National Assembly, after which uh, the division of revenue bill will be also be uh, debated in the National Assembly. From the National Assembly, both bills go, uh, uh, go to the NCOP and they go through the same process. Standing committee and uh, uh, the select, I mean, select committees, uh, appropriations and uh, finance. <clears throat> yeah. Dr. Chanchis, let's go. Uh, good morning, Chairperson. Good morning, honorable members. And good morning, colleagues. Uh, thank you so much for the opportunity for, for us to be the committee. Thank you for that. Um, I'm with the team chair and members will go through the presentation and then we'll, we'll, we'll wait for the commission members. Thank you once more for the opportunity. Um, I don't know who's sharing the slides. Darren, are you taking our slides? What? Uh, Melia, are you on the platform? Who's sharing the slides? Dr. Zanzis, no, I'm not sharing from my side. I've made you a co host, I've made Melia a co host, and I've made Rashad Amra a co host. So you can decide right. who's going to share. Okay. Um, okay, Melia, do you want to reflect the slides? But but in the meantime, while Melia and Doctor, um, I'm not set up to, and we also might have load shedding. Um, thank you for the load shedding issue. Uh, Rashad, are you able to reflect the slides? I do apologize about that, Chairperson members. 
No, so I must can you can able to, can to, you spoil the slides, Darren, uh, to, to reflect them? Because the issue of blockchain that we have here, which we want to manage that. Can you send them to you, uh, Darren? Media, send the, uh, Darren the PowerPoint slides so that you can, you can reflect them. But in the meantime, can I just continue on the uh, introduction? Darren, are you able to show the slides for us? Uh, I guess I don't have a choice. However, Chairperson, I was going to help Mr. Mata for now, but if I'm going to share the slides and I won't be able to assist him. Uh, load sharing, um, I'm just saying, okay. so where's Siraj? Siraj, are you able to share the slides? Uh, Um, what we'll do is that, Lilia, please deal with the slide sharing. I, I, I understand the members have the copies. In the meantime, I'll continue while Lilia is, is, is dealing with the, the slides. Uh, Chair, I do apologize about that. Yeah, uh, Doc, I'm, I'm just listening on this thing. I think there's a lot of confusion. These things should be sorted out even before we start our meetings. Absolutely. I don't think it's correct that now we are busy seeing who's going to share slides and so on. For me, those are the, just the givens. Can we then sort that one out? Um, I'm adjourning the meeting for five minutes, and uh, while we are clearing, we are we're, we're sorting out the slides thing. Eh? Okay, thank you. Members, um, I think at least we do have a, a slide now. Um, can we continue with the presentation? Are we all back? Uh, Honorable Sheikh.
para un SIC de Rabulcaizo es Cheyambek. Ok, good. Other members, uh, they are having serious connection problem, Che. Uh, yeah, honorable Martafa and uh, Honorable Clara. Yeah. Um, Lenzana is in, but is also challenged by uh, load shedding. You know where you where you are, Honorable Lenzana. I can hear you very well, so don't don't move. On <laughs> uh, Honorable um, uh, Sarupen, are you in? Okay. That's fine. I, 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 I see Orabul Matafa is in. Um, I take it that all the other members are in now. And I think we can we can we we can we can proceed. Yeah, we know the challenge of uh, of of uh, of load shading today. Hey, uh, Doc, can you please continue? Um, thank you so much, Chair Chairperson. And we do apologize. I think the load shading throws us off completely this morning. We do apologize about that. Uh, this is an outline of our presentation as it is. I'm with the team on the platform who will take us the committee through the presentation. Um, the next slide, I think the, the inter this is our regular introduction slide. Uh, the next slide, please. Uh, but I think just want to emphasize that, you know, we, we see our purpose really to support the committees in concerning these uh, budget instruments. And this analysis really tries to really give input to the committee for consideration in this uh, uh, budget instrument. And clearly, these are some of the main focus areas that we'll be looking at, um, looking at different uh, role players in the total value chain system, and also uh, emphasize some of the areas that the, the budget attempts uh, you know, to deal with society, but also should reflect on some of the changes over the, the, the years, also over the NTF, both the local government and the provincial um, uh, sector. Next slide. Uh, I think just to give quick background on that, uh, we try to emphasize to the committees that this process is set up in the constitution of dividing this uh, budget in terms of the, the, the revenue in terms of these spheres, and, and also want to emphasize some of the key principles, some of the key um, considerations that are taken into account in the process, um, and clearly, some becomes more important over the others we see when, when the allocation takes place. Um, and, and more instances, what we have seen over time um, is it's that the developmental needs have left quite a bit in some of the areas um, trying to balance other aspects. I think what we see is importance of these um, principles up here is just to really, um, you know, members to really look at what are some of the, what are some of the priorities are set out when the, the, the division of revenue is set out, and which are those have been left behind, or which of those have been um, given more priorities over the other. The next slide. Um, this just emphasizes the, the, the main objective here of the DORA uh, is to really divide the, 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 the revenue from the three spheres, but also showing the each province, each of the shares. And, and also highlighted some of the constitutional grants uh, allocated to different spheres from the national government, and also some of the key responsibilities um, by all the spheres given the allocated 
budgets that are set out. So it's not really a rent and spend exercise in our perspective, really what has this allocated or divided revenue has to be used for by the TCS um, as, as set out in the constitution. The next slide. I think in the next slide, um, what we emphasizing and raising to the committee is the recognition that this daughter is a village chain system and there are different role players within the village chain. And it's important to know which role comes when and what are some of the various stakeholders' roles in the village chain and who has to be held accountable. I think um, it's important that to recognize that Parliament really sits as very as, a, as important at the heart of um, of the whole process, given that it, it, it in a way there is a role to play to facilitate different role players, um, stakeholders in the process, uh, looking at the linkage with the society, um, with our constituencies, various sectors of society, and, and really in a way of understanding um, how has this budget been used to realize the aspiration of constitutions. How has this budget been used to realize the, the aspirations that are by various policy prerogatives? Parliament relies on various stakeholders, relies on AGs reports in really assessing whether some of these requirements have been realized, our aspiration has been realized, and, and, and which also relies a lot on the reports produced uh, in line with the prescripts set out by the National Treasury. But also, um, there's a role played by monetary evaluation of the time, which becomes also important for the committees of parliament to use as, 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 as a mechanism to assess whether this budget has been used to realize this aspiration. So we want to emphasize the, the very chain in the process and understand different role players, different role players playing in ensuring the end of the day the aspiration of constitutions and various policy recommendations development are realized used by this budget. This really the importance both want to emphasize in this slide. The last slide, just to also emphasize different spheres, main responsibilities, or legislative mandates that are in the constitution and other uh, legal principles, which in way this divided revenue is meant to enable them to realize those responsibilities uh, over time. Uh, there are obviously some of the core, core, core shared functions between the local and, and, and provinces, but fundamentally, Basic education, healthcare, roads, and housing, and those other social development are the prerogatives of the provincial provincial spheres. And water and sanitation, electricity, education, um, roads, and community services largely save with the provincial local government. And those other centralized ones are within the national main sphere, which the division of the is meant to realize those those, those processes. The last slide on the on the background really is just to show how this 2022-2022 uh, division revenue has played out, or just to describe it, shows that 49.7% is allocated to national um, and 9.1% to local sphere. But also within the local sphere, we realize that uh, the, the almost a third of it goes to conditional grants um, and 10% and, and goes to the, the general fuel levy. The provinces, again, the conditional grants also plays quite a bit, but large of it comes from the from the HW shares. And, and certainly, this goes back to those responsibilities set out in, in the previous slide. Chairperson, thank you so much. And members, I'll give to Ms. Lucy Westerbeck to take us through some of the understanding of the needs that are meant to be realized by this allocation of deficiency. Thank you so much. Uh, Ms. Lucy, you will take three minutes. Yes. Thank you so much.
Good morning, honorable members, uh, guests, and colleagues. Um, can I please have the next slide? I'll be taking us through the needs analysis that the PBO has conducted, um, as Dr. Jandis has already mentioned. Um, so starting off to talk about the national sphere of government and understanding the national sphere of government as being critical for social protection and safety and security. These are the two largest expenditure functions at the national level. Um, and this includes, of course, social protection and social welfare that supports women, youth, and persons with disabilities. Um, excluding the special COVID-19 social relief of distress, distress grant, um, on average, 18.3 million South Africans receive one or another form of a social grant. And of course, this has to be understood within a context of deepening inequality, poverty, and high levels of unemployment. Um, at the end of 2021, there were 18.4 million social grants paid to 11 million beneficiaries. Um, and of course, as we know, the social um, the COVID SRD has been extended um, as well. So we know that in this context. And about 13.2 million people will be eligible to receive this. And again, like I mentioned, um, we have to understand this within this context of just deepening um, income inequality as well. And so during the September 2021, there were 13.7 million applications for the second phase of the COVID-19 SRD, of which 8.8 .8 million applications were approved, 7.3.4 grants were 7.3 4 million grants were paid um, and 69,000 about applications were received from SLM seekers. Um, next slide, please. Of course, we understand that, you know, there's been great needs in our economy, but of course, the economic impacts um, of corruption um, in the public and private sectors, you know, cannot be left aside. These are critical and in in what is happening in our context and understanding the ways in which we are able to meet the needs of the majority. The COVID-19 pandemic has also heightened the vulnerability of certain groups um, that are exposed to gender-based violence in particular and femicide. Um, of course, women and children being disproportionately impacted by this. Uh, between the three months from July 2021 to the end of September 2021, 9.5,000 people were raped, um, 72,000 um, cases of common assault and assault previous bodily harm were opened with the police, um, 6,000 people were murdered, and this is higher than the in the same period before in the previous financial year, and there were about close to 30,000 cases of contact-related crimes. So safety remains a critical concern uh, in our society and thinking about the national sphere of government and how it helps uh, alleviate some of these issues. Next slide, please. Okay, so at the provincial level, of course, we understand that education and health are the most critical and are the largest expenditure functions at this level. Um, we know that children, 3.2 million children between zero and Eight, zero and four um, accessed early childhood development services by March 2021. Um, this is, you know, almost reaching our target of 3.6 million children um, that we hope to, to have access to ECD services by 2024. And of course, we always have to think about population growth in this context in, in terms of our targets as well. Um, we know that enrollment of children aged five to six years in, in school or ECD centers has grown, um, which is a positive 
um, factor in our economy, uh, thinking about the long term um, and longevity of those multipliers of expenditure in particular. Um, in terms of the international mathematics and science study, results show that grade five scores achieved are 374 and 324 for maths and science respectively. Um, math results show a slight drop um, from uh, from 2015. So this is, of course, a concern um, when over time our results are going backwards as, a, as opposed to getting better. Um, and of course, this is something that we'll have to work with, uh, work towards. And in the previous presentation, we'd spoken about how budget cuts in the education sector um, do impact class sizes. And so something to, to think about as well. Um, and in terms of children achieving um, 60% or above in maths and science in grade 12, uh, the 2020 results um, show that 13.2% and 15.3% um, are what 15.3% are what we're actually achieving. So um, we need to really work on those statistics and numbers in terms of outcomes. Next slide, please. In terms of the average life expectancy in South Africa, it was 65.5 years in 2020. Um, the MTSF target is 70 by 2030. So, you know, we are moving towards that and it is slowly improving, but something to certainly keep um, in, in mind when thinking about plans for expenditure. Um, the child indicators show that our, you know, the infant mortality rate has actually increased. Um, and so this is something to also be concerned about. It, compared to 2019, there were 22.1 per thousand um, you know, deaths, and now we're at 23.6 um, as of 2020. The under five mortality rate was 34.1 deaths per 1,000 live births in 2020, which is actually higher than 2019. So again, when we see over time, um, these statistics getting worsening, um, it is something to be concerned about. Um, next slide, please. I'll now hand over to my colleague, um, Tepo Mloy, to take us through the local government. Uh, thank you very much, Musi. Uh, uh, Chairperson, honorable members, uh, I'm trying to, I see my videos upside down. Uh, but yeah, thank you, Busi. Uh, uh, Chairperson, honorable members, I'll be taking you briefly uh, through the slides on local government, which we all know uh, plays a critical role as the first line of interaction between government and its citizens. Now, between 2004 and 2016, the country has seen a rapid rise in service delivery protests. Uh, owing to let's, 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 let's get uh, uh, the video correct. Uh, you are on your head. Still. Okay. Let's, let's okay. get that one correct. My apologies, Chair. Uh, is it better now, Chair? Yeah, that's that's how it should look. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Chair. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I was mentioning that between 2004 and 2016, the country has seen a rapid rise in, in service delivery protests, and this has been as a result with, uh, of the dissatisfaction with poor service delivery. We also know that this poor service delivery also has a disproportional impact uh, on different households uh, along gender, racial, and geographic lines. Uh, likewise, COVID-19 has also brought to the fore the centrality of social reproduction. Uh, this relates to household duties often uh, uh, undertaken by women and girls, uh, things such as cooking, uh, cleaning, childcare, adult care, and to some extent, uh, 
part of this is also exacerbated somewhat by the lack of access to basic services. Moreover, we also know that these vital households are regarded as unpaid work and not measured in indicators such as GDP, uh, meaning that poor service delivery means more time uh, for these women and girls doing unpaid work and thus ultimately affects women's labor market participation. Uh, next slide, please. Now, the statistics contained in the 2019 non-financial census of municipality report are all points to a significant decline in the provision of free basic services, be it when you look at uh, access to free basic water, sewage, sanitation, as well as electricity services. Uh, at the same time, we also know that millions of South, Africa, uh, South Africans or households are faced with this trade-off between being able to afford food and paying for the ever-increasing municipal services. Now, interesting research from the Public Affairs Research Institute makes two important findings. Uh, the first being that uh, over more than two decades, local government has not been able to fulfill its conflicting objectives on one end of being able to charge affordable tariffs to ensure uh, universal affordable access to quality services, whilst at the same time still ensuring that they remain financially viable. Uh, the second key finding was that uh, millions of households uh, that are eligible for free services do not get them simply due to a dysfunctional system, particularly as it relates to the, register, the registration of indigent households. Uh, next slide, please. Now, this next slide simply looks at the challenges to service delivery more broadly. And here we're simply saying that the financial and operational challenges that hinder local government from delivering their basic services are often correlated or closely related, and that the failure to adequately address these challenges causes immense hardships, not only for citizens, but also has a detrimental impact as it relates to social and economic development. Now, much of the literature on local government, uh, such as that uh, the poor performance in local government uh, can be attributed to a number of factors. Along these uh, are the capacity constraints, uh, poor planning, ineffective financial management, inadequate uh, monitoring and evaluation, particularly in the context of poor uh, governance, convoluted political processes and corruption. I guess the last uh, two lines has to do mainly with the lack of consequence management that we also see uh, in local government. Now, linked to this is also an important point about the lack of up-to-date data. In fact, you'd recall in 2021, a stats essay indicating that the detailed household survey uh, has been suspended. Uh, the household, the general household survey had to be suspended due to the budget cuts. Now, without those critical information, certainly data-driven policymaking will certainly be undermined. Then finally, uh, when you also look at the performance and financial information or audits from the Auditor General, those also point to serious service delivery problems within local government. Uh, their latest reports uh, points to the fact that only 28% of municipalities uh, submitted credible financial statements for audit in the financial year 2019-20. Uh, they also report that the number of municipalities in financial distress has risen from 86 in 2013-14 to 175 in 2019-20. And even more worrying was that uh, at the beginning of the 2019-20 financial year, only, uh, about 123 municipalities passed unfunded budgets. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. I'll hand over to Milia, uh, to uh, Rashad to discuss the division of revenue. Thank you very much. 
honorable members, um, as noted earlier on, we spoke about the constitutional requirement for the division of revenue between the three spheres of government. Um, and given that these different constitutional requirements uh, are there in terms of mandates uh, and the limitations and the um, uh, imposed by the intergovernmental fiscal system, we also noted um, for the division of revenue, uh, we presented the current uh, over the current MTF. So it's actually quite useful for us to go back, given the socioeconomic needs of the country that has been discussed earlier on, uh, to look at a longer timeline, right? To look at uh, the concerns over a longer period to see where we're coming from, to essentially to contextualize um, the division of revenue. So what we have in front of you uh, is the division of revenue, at least the three spheres of government from 2008-9 up until the end of the current MTEF. Uh, and what it shows over here uh, is essentially declining allocation, you may see marginal for national and for provincial government, and an increase, a marginal increase over this period from 2008-9 to 24-25 for local government. Uh, why this is important is um, if you look at the cumulative effects of declining shares over time with no real change in the mandate and no significant change in the models of service delivery, one can expect there to be a decline in uh, the in service delivery if it's not met by a concomitant change in, in efficiency and effectiveness of, uh, of spending from those particular spheres. So it's important to look at this uh, over a period of time uh, and see how these shares are, are, are declining, specifically okay. for national and provincial. Excuse me. So was, was that an intervention from the chair? No, no. Okay, thank you. I, I heard something on my side. Um, and this is also made worse by the fact that the size of the pie, if you want to call it that, of the division of revenue, uh, the growth has been slowing over the past several years, in part because of fiscal consolidation uh, required uh, to arrest um, uh, current, some of the current uh, um, trajectories. Uh, and so this may also ask questions about the adequacy, and it also asks questions about the intergovernmental fiscal relations system that we have in our country, where a lot of responsibility is conferred on local government, uh, but at the same time, go local government um, has the potential, at least constitutional potential and uh, higher degrees of independence to raise its own revenue. However, its allocation is increasing over time. Next slide, please. This is similar to the previous uh, previous slide showing the division of revenue on, uh, with the three spheres. However, it makes a very important inclusion, and that's the red line over there. Uh, now, when we include debt service costs, uh, we see a markedly different picture over here. So debt service costs are 9% of uh, main budget spending in 2008-2009, and that's expected to almost double by 2024-25. That's the outer year uh, of the current MTEF. Now, what that's quite important is because given that this is expressed as a share of total spending, for one item to increase, one or two other items or more may need to decrease in terms of their share. Uh, and it's quite clear over here that the, that the decline in terms of allocation as a share of total spending has been uh, from national and provincial, whilst local government continues to increase uh, over this long period of time over here. Uh, now, again, this is something that government has noted. Government has referred to this as the crowding out of other expenditure areas because of debt service costs. And indeed, uh, the country's fiscal policy over the past five to six years has been fiscal consolidation, trying to decrease uh, uh, the allocation to debt service costs through stabilizing as, uh, debt as a share of GDP. Now, whilst this is um, a stated objective and would allow for a more favorable division of revenue over the medium term, uh, what has happened over the past several years 
is provincial governments and national governments have had to find uh, ways of, of absorbing uh, the decreasing allocation as a share of total spending. Next slide, please. Uh, and lastly, what this shows is uh, the allocation per capita in real constant 2010 rands. What this essentially means is how much is government allocating per person in the country and removing the effect of inflation over this period presented in front of you. And so we, we, we look at that. Now, what's important to note over here is the orange line on top. Now, the amount the country is spending per person in the country has actually in, increased um, over, uh, over the past 12 to, to 13 years, and for the most part is expected to continue increasing. So whilst we may talk about decline, declining allocation per person in different, uh, different specific budget votes and on a per capita basis when it comes to um, economic classification, overall the actual allocation is increasing. But the devil, as they say, is in the details. So when we look, we look at the graph, uh, we look at the table beneath the graph, what we see is uh, the overall main budget expenditure between 2008-9 to the current to last financial year uh, has actually increased on a per capita basis. So in real terms, we're spending more per citizen or per person in the country. However, the growth, the largest growth in that spending has been in debt service costs followed by local government, followed by national and then provincial. So provincial, and as you, you will hear soon uh, in, in the division, on, in the discussion on the appropriations bill, um, a lot of it goes to salaries. Now, if, if you, you're restricting growth over there, the and, uh, and the implication is a lot, of the, the, uh, uh, a lot of the allocation is to salaries, then obviously you're cutting back on other important service delivery areas. Uh, and, and again, um, debt service costs consume the largest share of that growth in that period, uh, leaving not a lot for other uh, important expenditure areas. If we look at the bottom right-hand corner of that table over there, it shows us the expected growth in spending over the MTEF. Uh, and over here, in contrast to the previous period, uh, the main budget expenditure is, in, is expected to contract on a per capita basis. Again, as noted above, implications for service delivery. Uh, and again, 6.1% increase in debt service costs over that period uh, um, uh, in terms of per capita allocation. So our growth in spending uh, is far faster when it comes to debt service costs per citizen in the country compared with local government, which still grows quite fast. Uh, and the concerning part of it is if we look at national departments and provincial departments, those are significant cuts on a per capita basis uh, for that period. Uh, so I think it's quite useful when we talk about division of revenue to contextualize the trajectory. Uh, what we've observed as a country uh, since the beginning of uh, the last period of, of explicit expansion following the financial crisis uh, and expectations over the medium term. Thank you very much. Yeah. Next slide, next slide, please. Good morning, honorable chairs and members. Um, in terms of the structure of the division of revenue, um, the 67.2% um, national share includes conditional grants provinces to provinces and local government, the general fuel levy shared with metropolitan municipalities, debt service costs, the contingency reserve and provisional allocations. The provincial share amounts to 28.4% of the main budget expenditure and the local government share is 4.4% of the main budget expenditure. Next slide. Subsequent to the initial division of nationally raised revenue, a portion of the national share is further divided amongst provincial government and municipalities. This division results in a remaining share of 49.6% for the national sphere 
41% to provinces and 9.1% to municipalities. Of the 41% to provinces, um, the equitable share amounts to 82.2% and provincial conditional grant 17.8%. Of the 9.1% share to local government, the equitable share amounts to 58% and the conditional grants 31.9%. Metros also receive um, part of the fuel levy, which amounts to 10.2% um, of the local government share. Also to note is that the division of revenue is not a total reflection of local government spending because they also collect their own revenue. Next slide. So members, as indicated, the 67.2% allocated towards the national sphere of government is further divided and then 69% of the national share is transferred to other spheres of government and institutions. The table shows the departments that transfer above 50% of their share of the nationally raised revenue. Some of the biggest amounts are transferred by corporate governance, which is, amounts to 95%. Um, higher education, 91%, human settlements, for example, is a transfer, 97%, social development, I missed that one, is 99, almost 100%, and transport um, transfers 97.9% of their share to other surveys of government and institutions. Next slide. Members, this slide only shows the transfers from national to provinces and local government. 11.5% is transferred to provinces in the form of conditional grants and 12.8% to municipalities, which includes the local government equitable share and conditional grants. Provinces receive 34.7% when we also include the provincial equi um, equitable share. Next slide. The total funding of 682.5 billion transferred to provinces in 2022. <laughs> added in 2022 to help fund the cost of the non-pensionable cash gratuity. Recording in progress. 3.3 billion to fund medical interns and community service um, services doctors. 1 billion added to the district health program grant in 2022. Um, 809 million to assist funding um, the cash gratuity for employees. 873 million is added to the Human Settlements Development Grant to rehabilitate houses. 471 million to the Education Infrastructure Grant to repair schools. And 784 million to the Provincial Roads Maintenance Grant to repair flood damages road, um, roads in KZN. Next slide. So, members, this table shows the provincial conditional grant increases from 2021 um, to 2022. The biggest increase is 1.3 billion for the district health programs grant and 1.2 billion for the human resources and training grant, also in, in health. 
the Human Settlements Development Grant receives an additional 853 million in 2022-23, and the Provincial Roads Maintenance Grant is 680 million less than the 2021-22 revised estimate. Just to note, members, this is not changes since the previous MTF, but it's just the changes from the revised estimates in 2021-22. Next slide. In terms of the local government transfers, changes um, to this government allocations um, between 2021 and 22 includes 1.2 billion, a 1.2 billion increase in 2022 from 2021 to the municipal infrastructure grant, and 838 million increase um, to the public transport network grant. Amendments over the medium term include the local government equitable share has been increased by 4.2 billion. In 2022, 10.5 billion in 23 and 14.2 billion in 24 to expand the provision of free basic services to poor households. The public transport network grant allocations are reduced by 754 million in 2022-23 and 105 in 2023-24 and is increased by 621 million in um, 2024. These changes are made. Um, to align with the revised implementation plan for phase two of the My City project in the city of Cape Town. Next slide. Uh, we, um, members, um, while the budget in 2022 increased the local government equitable share by an average annual rate of 10.3%, it does not guarantee that the needs for indigent households will be sufficiently met. National um, transfers account for a relative small proportion of the local government fiscal frame, framework, with the majority of local government revenues being raised by municipalities themselves. Poor rural municipalities, however, receive most of their revenue from transfers, while urban municipalities raise the majority of their own revenue. Um, research by the Public Affairs Research Institute finds that the challenges faced by local government are systematic and are the direct result of the unrealistic assumptions that were made in designing the funding model in the 1998 white paper on local government. The white paper assumed that local government could raise over 70% of their financing requirements through service charges and also made them responsible for providing affordable services to households. Next slide. Members, um, some of this is a repeat, but we just want to show that um, in the table, the operation, operating and capital revenue versus the operating and capital expenditure per province. In terms of the revenue, the operating revenue has increased over time, while the capital revenue has decreased over time. On the other side, the percentage spent on operational costs has decreased over time while capital expenditure has slightly increased. In terms of the narrative, we've covered that in previous slides. Next slide. Next slide. So members, these two slides is actually just additional to, to our presentation on the division of revenue. Um, but we just want to illustrate what type of information is available from national departments or the National Treasury for the monitoring of conditional grants. For example, um, we're using the Comprehensive Agriculture Support Program um, as an example. So the COSP, um, 
the objective of the COSP is to provide post-settlement support to targeted beneficiaries and land reform and are engaged in value-added enterprises domestically or involved in exports. So what the table is showing is um, the information that was available for the first six months um, of 2021-22. Um, so if you um, if we can just look at East, the Eastern Cape as an example, we can see that the Eastern Cape has spent 28% of this grant in the first six months. Um, they estimated to engage in 80 um, pro projects in the white line. The green line shows the actual. Um, so they've only completed 22 of the 80 um, planned projects. Um, they actually um, estimated that they're going to support 2,300 farmers, but they only supported 749. In terms of, um, uh, or, or the farmers was beneficiaries, the next one was the support, they only supported 230 farmers, there was no target set for that. Um, the number of targets that actually um, access market was 230, is the same as the uh, the number that was supported and no targets were set for that. The number of jobs um, that they targeted was 576. They actually created 188 jobs um, within this grant. The number of pre-audit workshops, follow-ups and final audits um, was only eight. There was only also no targets set. The number of monitoring visits planned was 80 and um, there was no visits concluded. So members, um, this is just to show the, the kind of information that is available on a quarterly basis for monitoring purposes. Next slide. So members, in the previous discussion on the Division of Revenue Act, many questions related um, to getting an understanding of the criteria used for the allocation of conditional grants. So I found this very useful table on the Treasury website in terms of the public transport network grant. The table shows the cities that has an operational public transport system, the percentage that has been spent in 2020, the contribution from the property rates and also efficiency indicators um, of this transport systems at this stage. Um, if we can just look at George as an example. So in terms of George, um, they do have an operational public transport system. They've spent 89% of their budget in 2020-21. Um, they are eligible for incentive. And then um, further on, coverage of direct costs from the, the fare box was 18%. 5.1% um, of the population used the transport um, and then 5% um, of this expenditure was also contributed by um, property rates. Thank you, members. This is all from my side. Uh, thank you so much, colleagues. Thank you so much. The last, the last slide, please, the last slide. I think what we're saying, uh, Chair, is that uh, national government departments are required to monitor the financial and non-financial information funded by the budget over time. One of the points that um, Dr. Landy highlighted earlier, I think, raises for is around the, the spending or the allocations that goes national that 
significant part of it indeed goes to transfers and the oversight mechanisms has to really uh, you know come up with a way that that 70% is get of this oversight or that as well because it goes to transfers and, and and it's very important that oversight because there are um, um, a performance indicators that have to be realized by that, that transfers. The mandate of, I will talk about that quite in detail during the appropriations uh, uh, discussion. The mandate of the different spheres of government are addressed uh, and, and, and the Division of Revenue considers the demographic various aspects, including demographics uh, and also economic needs and environment within the context of the allocation. Um, up, um, I think the, the, the point here, just to emphasize the importance of ensuring that uh, governments um, import information about society or economy remains available at the time by ensuring that uh, our statistical uh, uh, database or statistical institution is able to collect that information. It's very important that the, that process is protected all the time. After considering several funding needs in terms of the capacity, service delivery, and economic goals, several amendments were made from the prior, prior year uh, MTF. This includes equitable shares where, where amendments made, but also between the crucial grants the way amendments made compared to the previous year. This is the last slide. We have also uh, have additional slides where we provide some of the details on the conditional grants, but also some of the details around the, the provincial uh, equitable shares, but also under the local scale, some of the details as well. I think our presentation ends there, Chair. Uh, before I hand it back to you, Chair and members, I also want to um, take an opportunity to you know, uh, tell the committee that uh, as a small team, we're able to get two uh, members joining our team, which I meant to introduce at the beginning of the, of the, of the presentation. Ms. Sibeko and Mr. Tsepamuloi are additional members of the team who joined us uh, this month and last month. Uh, that when members see them, hear them, they know that they're part of the team. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Chairperson and all members. Uh, we are ready for further engagement in this. Uh, thanks so much, colleagues. Thanks so much. Um, thank you. Thank you, Doc. Um, well, welcome uh, uh, to the new members of, of PBO. Uh, can they please show their faces? I think we saw Tsepo, but uh, please introduce yourselves again so that we we can put names to the faces. Thank you, Chair. Greetings, uh, honorable members. My name is Tsepo Muloi. Uh, I joined the PBO as an economic analyst on the 1st of January. Thank you, Chair. You are most welcome. Thank you, Ms. Beko. Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Wusiwa Sibeko, and I have also joined the PBO in February um, as a finance analyst. Okay, thank you. Wishing you Thanks so much. Uh, yeah, wishing you a safe, safe landing at PBO. Huh? It's a mixed generation. <laughs> yeah, <bo> <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank, thank you so much, um, uh, uh, Team PBO. At, 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 at Doc and your, and, and your, and your team. Um, oral members, it's, it's, it's your turn um, to indicate. Peters. Uh, uh, Honorable Peters. Chair, Honorable Sarupin, please. Honorable uh, Sarupin. I'm listening, oral members. Matafa. Honorable Matafa. 
Lenzana. Honorable Lenzana. Kaiso. Honorable Kaiso. Any other member? Okay, other members. Um, I've I've just received a, a message from uh, Honorable Tehade. She's she's struggling to 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 connect. We know there is a, a load 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 shading in the country, uh, and even some of the members uh, who are on the platform they keep on cutting. But let's uh, hope that you you look for the most uh, appropriate spaces, especially when you must. Uh, come in and uh, raise issues uh, on the on the on the PPO uh, presentation. So, all members, um, let's do it this way. Uh, you have got five minutes to raise your issues, and uh, uh, let's take it from there. Honourable Peters, you are the first one. Thank you very much, Chairperson. And I want to take this opportunity to also thank the PVO for the presentation and to thank the chairperson for being very punctual today, starting the meeting two minutes before nine o'clock. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much, chairperson. Uh, chairperson, I have very few questions. One, I just wanted to ask the PVO, one of the quick questions that need consistent consideration before we pass this uh, uh, division of revenue bill is whether it effectively addresses the disparities across the provinces and municipalities. Because it is important for us to, to note, and, and Chairperson, you'd, you'd also hear when Salga make its presentations that they also indicate the challenges that they have and, and the challenges that uh, municipalities have with regard to, to, to revenue, revenue collections. And, and to add to that, uh, I want to know from the PBO whether they think that uh, the, the municipalities and, and provinces will ever raise enough revenue to be able to augment the uh, provincial and uh, municipal uh, uh, allocations from the equitable share. The, 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 the provinces raise revenue for patients, pay from patients' fees and motor licenses, but this is not even enough to sustain the very services that uh, the, 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 the provinces are raising their fees for. And 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 Jefferson on slide thirteen, there there's an indication that of the number of uh, of, of of children who are accessing ECD. I just want to know whether this is corresponding with the number of children in the cohort of the population in this cohort of the population, as you 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 would know, because. We know that by 2024, there is a target of about 3.6 million uh, children to have accessed uh, uh, ECD. But is that target also consistent with the number of children in this in in this in the in this cohort? Chairperson, the other question is with regard to slide 20. 
with regard to the changing shares of the division of revenue from 2008 and 2009, including the debt service cost. Is the PBO aware of how much each sphere of government accounts for the overall debt that the country has? And uh, how indebted is municipalities, especially the metros? And how much of the 2020 Division of Revenue Bill allocation will be directed at servicing debts, not 2020, 2022? The, the last question, Shepherdson. The PTNG was created to make it possible that municipalities could deliver reliable, affordable, and safe public transport in 13 municipalities as a start. How possible is it that Umsundus, Mbombela, Polokwan, Etequini Chaperson, and Rustenberg could spend 100% of the grant, and yet there are no passengers in, in, in being transported? So I just wanted to find out from PBO these this, uh, few questions, Chair, and uh, 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 thank you very much. Thank you, Honorable Peters. Honorable Sarupen. Uh, thank you very much, Chair. Apologies for the lack of video. I am back in Gauteng where my reception is poor at my house. Chair, um, I just have one key question around the equitable share and the division of revenue to provinces. Um, what we see in the financial reports coming out of provinces is that a lot of them have overspent. And it seems that provinces might have spent, we'll only know um, in a couple of weeks, but it looks like provinces might have spent combined by 20 billion rand as a consequence of um, the cuts to the equitable share in the previous financial year. I'd like to get an understanding from the PBO as to whether or not they think that the now increases in the equitable share to provinces will be sufficient for them to ensure that they meet their mandates. I mean, cutting province, it's easy for national government to cut provinces rather than national government departments when they need to, to make emergency decisions like we did last year. But there are consequences in healthcare and education that are unforeseen. Um, and that cause means that provinces can't necessarily just stop paying salaries, for example. And it has become a very serious problem over the last financial year. Um, and, if so, and if they have looked at this at the PBO, have they identified potentially better areas for national government to trim back on its own expenditure in favor of protecting frontline services by provinces? Thank you very much. Thank you, Arul Sarupen, Arul Matafa. Thank you very much, Chair. Good morning, Chair and uh, Honorable Members and Team PBO. Chair, I'm going to request to keep my video off. I'm one of those that are struggling with connectivity. Yeah. Chair, I just have a few questions. Actually, I had three. Uh, Comrade Dipuo spoke on one, which speaks to the issue of public transport grant. My question is almost similar to the one as raised by Honorable Peters. And the question is, given the states of passenger uptake that were reflected on the presentation, can we say that public transport grant is value for money in terms of what it seeks to achieve, what it's able to deliver, and what it costs the taxpayer? Because, Chair, I see in some of the cities that were highlighted there, there's an uptake of about 1% of the population. 
And in some instances, I think it's the city of Cape Town where 3% is the highest performing in terms of uh, customer uptake. Now, the question there is in terms of the value that the taxpayers have to pump in as far as the grant is concerned. Is it something that we can look at its modeling and then maybe include other modes of transport that are related to fairing public uh, within the city and maybe even outside of the city boundaries? The second one, Chair, is on the issue of the capacity that is lacking in terms of local government. When you look at uh, implementing of projects related to conditional grants and the performance of ordinary services that are required by local government, issues of revenue collection. In terms of the DORA, is, is there, like I see there's an increasing expenditure, but are we seeing an increase in funds trying to address this particular issue of lack of capacity in the local government sphere? And, and, and the last one, Chair, is, is something that uh, me being from Tswani have, have learned through the workings of Tswani. And I just wanted to find out from PBO if whether the DORA uh, in its current nature will be responsive to the growing trend of municipalities going into debt, municipalities not being able to raise funds in the commercial market. And I'm raising this chair knowing that uh, in our city, and, and I'm speaking under correction, I'm not sure if the situation has been changed. The city of Tswane failed to raise its budget shortfall in the debt market because the banks lamented on the fact that it's highly indebted and they do not believe that it's prudent to lend money to the city. Now, the question is that is, is Dora flexible enough that going forward, we are able to address such issues to keep this municipality municipalities viable and also to assist plug the gap that maybe may arise as a result of the financial standing that municipalities find themselves for many reasons. It could be COVID where people are unable to pay funds uh, their, for their rates and taxes or any other matter that makes it difficult for the municipalities to remain self-sustaining. Or is there a need for government intervention as far as that is, is, is concerned? For now, Chair, I'll pause there on the three questions. Thank you very much, Chairperson. I appreciate the opportunity to participate. Thank you, Oral Matafa. Oral Mlenzana, I hope you are still keeping your spot. Let's see, Chair. I think so. <laughs> uh, no, good morning, Chairperson and colleagues. Uh, Good morning, Doc, and uh, welcome your presentation and uh, your team. Chairperson, Honorable Dipuo and Honorable Matafa has covered some of my points. But allow me perhaps to restructure one of the questions by uh, Honorable Dipuo. Uh, Doc, uh, is this budget needs-based when you look at it? Uh, I'm deliberately running away from the terminology that uh, we, we always want to use of a zero-based budget. 
I'm not there yet, but now I'm on needs. Is this budget needs-based? Uh, is, is it not only a question of juggling around numbers, but still remaining uh, with that baseline mentality? Uh, covered with this would be also uh, what Honorable Matafa has been raising. But, but as I'm saying, he has covered me as far as that one is concerned. I don't want to harp on what Honorable Matafa has actually said. Uh, but, but, but my interest, Chairperson, would be uh, 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 are we advised by FFC that uh, let's adopt this budget because it addresses what we have been crying for, where we would see a budget which is beginning to, to, to address the needs of the communities, not based on statistics, but based on what it is that has to be done. Thanks, Chairperson. Honorable Mlenzana, thank you very much. Honorable Kaiso. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. And uh, let me uh, congratulate the, the PBO for having appointed uh, in its appointment considered uh, the, the generational mix. You know, uh, I think it's a good idea that you bring in the young people uh, in this tough uh, 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 job. But uh, I'm also uh, uh, covered in number of instances, but I just wanted to go to uh, this area. Uh, you see, a healthy nation also brings about a uh, in an improvement in as far as the production is concerned. Uh, so I think uh, my concern Chair, was on the issue of you know uh, life expectancy and the child mortality rate uh, uh, which should not just be counted as statistics that we read and, and, and see here put in front of us, but it does say something to us. So I'm sure the, the, the PBO's aim was to drive a, a particular message uh, when this uh, information was brought to our attention. So we definitely have to get a, a somewhat a, a, a you know a, a, an interaction with that with, with, with that department and to also to get to understanding some of the information. Uh, as to how does this shape in uh, or what has influenced this? Because once there is an increase of uh, child mortality rate, it says something which you have to read a, a bit deeper to it, uh, such that now if there is, it has to do with a certain, you know, uh, constraint of, in terms of, of uh, financial, you know, support, etc. We then have to know ourselves as a standing committee on appropriation that perhaps there needs to 
revamp something. So I think during the course of, uh, of our operation, we have to get to that point where we, we, we look at those, especially the issue of you know, life expectancy and child mortality rate. Uh, because it 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 had been it, it was doing well uh, during the 2019 and, and then in 2020 it changes so it it, it says then uh, something has changed drastically then that we have to know in as far as uh, the the division division of revenue is is concerned and secondly chair is on the issue of uh, I don't know how many times should we sing this song, uh, lack of consequent management, uh, 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 poor financial management. I agree with uh, Honorable Dipu that perhaps some of this uh, we have to uh, get to interact uh, with uh, Salga, for instance, on, on, on some of this issue, but then, it, it, it seems as if it's going to be, it is now has become a tradition that will, will definitely be encountering this lack of performance management, I mean, lack of financial, uh, poor financial management, and then uh, uh, lack of consequent management. So it, 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 there must be a way that we get feedback now that doesn't say a lack of con consequent management. It should say uh, 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 consequent management uh, outcome or something like that. That says now, now, now that we have been having lack of consequent uh, management, now uh, poor performance has been attended to, uh, and, 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 and financial manage poor performance, poor financial management has been attended to. And, 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 and this poor consequent management has been attended to. So it, it, it's a positive feedback. If we move forward, it, 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 the report should not only say lack of consequent management, but should say we are happy now the, the consequent management is being uh, attended to. Uh, there must be a way that uh, as, as a committee, we, 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 we have to see these results. Otherwise, if we don't want to see this result, we will be getting this report every time when we meet, we'll be uh, discussing this. Now, the household saving, uh, uh, well, uh, uh, just suspended due to uh, fiscal consolidation. So I just want to get to uh, know from PBO, what is the uh, uh, consequent uh, uh, results of this in future because you know how holds uh, save is very very much important in as far as planning uh, now that we are doing statistics and all the uh, all that uh, so i think it's very very much important that it, 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 it is an instrument which is able to assist us so i just want to know how in future is this going to have impact in as far as you are concerned as ppo and uh, my last two uh, I think, uh, Chair, we've said uh, in, on a number of presentations by PBO and, and FFC, the issue of, you know, uh, the funding model by, for, for the local government, the 1998 white paper document, we have said it, uh, expressed this on several occasions, uh, but it doesn't change. Uh, I think we, we must have to, we'll have to interact uh, with the local uh, copter 
to assist us in this regard because it can't be right. Uh, I know on two occasions this matter was presented to this committee, but there is no point where we 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 hear now. Now it has now been taken serious. Now uh, it's going to, it's going to be looked at. And my last point here is just on underspending. It is unac totally unacceptable that we still, you know, especially under the grants, and spend conditional grants that, uh, given the uh, tough time that uh, poor people are undergoing during this, you know, economic downturn, that our people are still find it very difficult to go to job because there is no transport. And then uh, uh, there are grants which are being dispersed but not spent. It's a very serious uh, problem. It's an indictment on us. Uh, seeing that we are also moving forward to, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> uh, to elections, and then uh, we we still uh, encountering this problem. We have to seriously look at this point. Uh, I know at some stage there, as a committee we interacted with, the, with these municipalities, but I think it is it is very important that uh, this matter we, it is being attended to, it is being looked to, uh, 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 taken very 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 much uh, serious. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, Honourable Kaisom. Uh, Honourable uh, Sheikh. Thank you very much, Chairperson, and thank you to PBO for your comprehensive presentation. You know, Chairperson, all, all our honorable members are asking, and a lot of what I'm going to be asked is exactly the same thing we've been asking for the last couple of years. And we're not getting the responses that we need, not from PBO, but in terms of ensuring that after having identified the weaknesses and the challenges that we experience, uh, and like one of my honorable colleagues just said about consequence management, but more importantly, about improving so that we are able to then uh, uh, take a problem and turn it into a solution and provide better services, we're really not getting the picture. It's getting progressively worse over a period of time, I must admit. But my first question uh, uh, to PBO is, what is your view on ensuring, first of all, a more transparent process of procurement at all spheres of government? And when I say this, I mean specifically where the public, and I'll give you an example, in a local municipality, must know on every procurement that is done, published in these local media or a bulletin, who contracts were issued to, what is the value of the contracts, what is the price per item, because we continue to lose hundreds of billions of rands in this country. And the same must go as far as the services that they, that they are actually serving, uh, providing to our people on the ground. And when I say this, people raise concerns year in and year out about some of the problems you've got. And I'm going to give you a good example. If you look at the state of Itegrini municipality right now, it is shocking. Shocking is an understatement. They don't even have money 
to pay the security, that entire beach area, which is a tourist attraction, if you look at the, the crime levels there, it has rocketed. If you look at the streets, it's shocking. If you look at the supply of water, it's shocking. Now, it's deteriorating over a period of time. And one of the reasons for that is, like my colleague have just said, consequence management. How do you envisage we need to deal with this differently, given the fact that whichever political parties, wherever they govern, are putting in their own people there and are reluctant to ensure this consequence management? How do we go forward in terms of trying to find a solution? Now, I know we've been speaking about zero-based budgeting, but the question is, and I think I've asked this before, do we have the capacity at these different spheres of government to be able to enter into zero-based budgeting? Because all this time, I think they've been thumb-sucking in terms of figures. When funds are released, they don't have the capacity to be able to spend this. Another serious problem appears to be irregular expenditure because there is provision for it you will find that they abuse it and then they go and regularize it. And do you think we should still have a provision for irregular expenditure unless it's an absolute emergency? Not if somebody is deciding I'm getting married and I need some money, so let me go and get somebody to do the potholes in the area. So that is my, my uh, other question. Now, Municipalities, and I'm not sure if anybody's covered it because Chair, I must apologize. I was also simultaneously in another meeting. You know, municipalities are now disconnecting services because they are not getting paid. Okay. And I can understand the problem there. But what is your view when you reverse that? I, do we have the right to demand that people must pay for services? You know, and you don't provide the service to them. A good example is if you don't ensure there's a secure environment, the streets are clean, there is water and sanitation available, but you demand we must pay rates and taxes. What is your view on that? Shouldn't be a, a give and take that we're paying you for a service, you have the responsibility to pay. Now, how do you believe public representatives can play a pivotal role? in ensuring that we change and improve the quality of life of the people. Because I want to tell you, just before the election, my ears were sore, my eyes were sore with what we were hearing about. All the prospective candidates were saying they promised, but they've already received their first salary. Nobody's saying anything anymore. They've gone into hibernation. The role that public representatives play, not about going and fighting each other in these government structures, but to come together, what is your view? What should we do to put the people first rather than coming and grandstanding and finding fault? We need solutions to the problems that our people are experiencing on, 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 on the ground currently. Now, Chairperson, uh, uh, um, my other question is this, that we are allocating these budgets to these municipalities. We know, and, and other spheres of government, we know a very great percentage of this money is going towards administrative costs. How do you want us to change this? Because just person, 79% sort of every rand is going to compensation to employees and debt service costs, Chairperson. 
I know you are reminding me to get off. I'm finishing the front chair. No, 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 no. no, no, no. Okay. 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 okay, thank you. And then of the 21 cents remaining chairperson, my estimation is 11 cents is going towards corruption. So we are delivering services to with 10 cents in the rand with a population increase in this country of 1 million rand a year, 1 million people a year. And we don't, we are not doing enough to create a conducive environment, chairperson, so that people can be productive particularly your rural municipalities and things. What is PBO's suggestion so we can take development to these areas? Let municipalities be more self-sufficient. Let each one regard themselves as an own business, an own entity, and start looking after its people in its community. You know, Chairperson, I'm just confronted with something in terms of the sugar, the sugar tax. We put in sugar import uh, tax on sugar, Chairperson, in this country. And what did we do it for, Chairperson? We did it to protect the local growers, am I right? But Chairperson, it's not protecting the local growers. Can I tell you what? Our import from Iswatini, because we, there is no import duty, has increased, Chairperson, by one billion rand. How is it helping your local growers? Maybe PBO should answer some of those questions. I got many others, but I think I'll rest, Chairperson. No, you can continue, continue, if you have questions. Well, you know, Chairperson, you know, my concern is the president has said a hell of a lot in the state of the nation, and some of which he said is brilliant. Okay? But does this budget speak to what the president is saying? Or are we saying something, but we are going to be able to do something? Now, remember, the president has spoken, Chairperson, about 100 days, and many days are gone already. Particularly if you look at the manufacturing sector at this point in time, I don't see a comprehensive plan, Chairman, to be able to improve that sector. Now, once upon a time, if you remember, Chairperson, we had the, 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 the trade and industry did a presentation to us, and they spoke about manufacturing, and they were bragging about the automotive industry. And the question we asked them, but what about the other sectors? Don't talk about where there's an increase because all of them should have an increase and be able to create jobs and things and, and create an export market. Now, in the absence of a comprehensive plan after engagement, would labor and everyone else, only would you be able to put a proper plan in place to bring down the cost of doing business so that businesses can survive. I'm not seeing that yet. All I am seeing is this. There's another example I want to give you. As a result of this war, South Africa should have been taking advantage of it. We have beautiful, fertile law, uh, land with resources. But what, Chairperson? We are importing all our wheat from Ukraine and Russia, and yet we can grow our own wheat. What are we doing about things of this nature? I just feel we say something we don't have the passion. And one of the reasons I say this, Chairperson, is we are too busy attacking each other, Chairman. I My plea is how do we get everybody together to understand the future depends on us working together to find solutions, not just criticizing all, all the time. Let me stop there for now, Chairman. Thank, thank you, Honorable uh, 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 Sheikh. Let me just check. Honorable Peters, do you have uh, uh, something that you'd like to add? 
Honorable Sarupen. Anything that you'd uh, like? Chair, nothing further for me, thanks. Thank you. Honorable Tafa. I'm okay, Chair. Thank you very much. Honorable Lenzana. No, thanks, Chair. I'm fine. Okay. Honorable Kaiso. Yeah, just, just one, Chair. Uh, I just want to check with the PBO. What has been the impact of fiscal consolidation on household consumption and the economy as a whole? Thank you very much, Chair. Um, thank you, Honorable Kaiso. Um, if I may, I may, I may, I may come in at the tail end. Uh, again, let me appreciate the presentation by uh, uh, Team PBO. Um, let, let me start with this one. <clears throat> um, it talks to the revenue that is being um, raised at local government. And that's the reason that we use for giving the <clears throat> lowest percentage to local government as far as the equitable share is, is, is concerned. So um, here's my question. Um, you would know that many towns, uh, especially in Pumalang and KZN, are so much dependent on, 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 on coal. Uh, what do you think the impact of uh, the transition to clean energy is going to be as far as the capacity of those towns to raise their own revenue? And in your own assessment, do you think that enough is being done to make sure that um, <clears throat> that capacity is not being undermined? Obviously, you know, that talks to unemployment um, and so on and so forth. I, I hope you get my, uh, my, 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 my question. Um, <clears throat> this is a broad question. We, the budget that we, um, we, 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 we deal with at the end of the day, would like to see its impact on unemployment, on poverty and inequality. But as we're sitting here, we know that uh, uh, those indicators are going the, the wrong direction. direction. Would you say that is a function of, 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 of the budget, of the DORA, or are there other variables that perhaps you think are, are even more, <clears throat> um, are having more weight than, than this? So just to repeat, I'm saying uh, all said and done, when we, we deal with the budget, we'd like to see its impact on, on poverty, on inequality and unemployment. But as we know, the indicators are going the wrong direction. Is that the function of the budget or there are other variables that uh, also play a very critical role? If they are, which are those? And if we think the budget, what, is, what can be done better with the budget? Yeah, you you made you made a, a point about um, that some of the indigents don't get what a parliament approves. What's the reason for that, and what can be done to correct that situation? Dr. Nela, on 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 slides twenty three and twenty four, uh, the division of revenue. I would, I would like you to just to go back and take us through again those slides. I think I missed uh, uh, out something so that I can just get exactly the points that you are making those slides 23 and 24. 
Local government gets nine nine point eight percent of the national raised revenue, but then we talk about all these other uh, uh, conditional grants again, which go to uh, to local government. Two questions from that. Um, then the nine point eight is not the true reflection of the money that comes from national government to local government. I would like to uh, to to hear your comment, and and secondly, uh, the 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 conditional grants way of doing things. Do you think that it is serving its purpose, even if you are assuming that uh, um, it's being used? So I would like you to just comment on 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 the conditional grants. So there are two questions which came from that. Um, Dogotela. And your team, uh, please come in. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Chairperson, and honor members for for the the many questions. Thank you, thank you so much for that. Um, I'll start with some of the questions, uh, and and some of the questions obviously requires to go back and do some further research. But whichever one we didn't answer, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, do it in writing and we'll ask Darren to remind us as well. Um, and I'll just start and Dr. Lani will come in and Dr. Mohamed will come in and the colleagues will come in if there aren't any unanswered questions uh, from that perspective. Um, um, my point is to quickly touch on the local government um, fiscal framework. I think I think Maria's honor members touched on that, so I'll just lump it up. But I think um, there's certainly a need to have a very clear discussion around local government fiscal framework because that's where we would really have a sense of you know, what are available resources vis-a-vis -vis what needs to be done to local government. And, and, and that will really raise a lot of questions around the capacity dealing with the, 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 the government's issues at the local government and so on. And I think we've raised this before the need for really discussion around um, what prohibit fiscal framework, what is the fiscal framework of local government, and what are some of the changes that are required. And we all agree, agree on that because in honor, one of the studies we did for, 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 for um, the, the appropriations at CF committee, we tried to look at the, uh, the revenue at local government and realized that certainly um, some of the more metro uh, district of particularly metro, I uh, have huge capacity to raise revenue compared to the uh, other local government. But I think the broadly fiscal framework at local government requires discussion and, and also uh, thinking around where where which areas need to improve to ensure that the local government is able to realize its mandate as set out in the constitution. And and that's that's the point that we emphasize and emphasize. The the point around whether um the, the revenue at the enough capacity reserve we'll see over over the time that um, particularly that revenue at local government is largely linked to the household or the ability for the the consumptions or spending by businesses anything happens so that we we'll see, we'll see even during the COVID nineteen that the fact that many households could not afford to pay that would have had a bump towards the 
local government revenue in that regard. Compared to provincial government, I think one member raised the issue of whether provincial government, local government, provincial government is probably a smaller portion of their spending funded by their own revenue compared to local government. So the big, bigger chunk of it is at the local government. Just a quick response to the, the ECD uh, statistics. I think mid, the 2021 mid data shows that they actually um, 5.7 million um, uh, children between the age of zero and four years. So you can see that the, the our target um, um, is far expected less than that. But obviously there's been issue of uh, population growth since the, the, the NDP target was about in that regard. But I think added to that, We've certainly seen that the inner indication, particularly during COVID and post-COVID-19, we've seen that there are more uh, children actually staying at home compared to actually being in education institution at that age. And it's a worrying factor uh, already that there are more of the children actually not able to benefit from the early childhood development uh, program. But hopefully that when it moves to, to education, there'll be more um, ability to access those. But there is a worrying factor that is actually more children not able to access that. But that could mean that some of the issues during COVID-19, um, meaning that many uh, parents stay home um, and, and many of the, the caring have to be done by, 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 by parents, but also the issue of affordability in, in that regard. Uh, the other point that comes uh, is around the budget cut. I think what National Treasury da- does, is, as our conversation here with other colleagues at that time, they, look, they send, they tell the the budget holders that we need to cut budget by this much, uh, and you need to go and cut and tell us how much we'll cut in your budget. But I think what we've said for chair and members as if you say, look, there has to be a question of um, when government provides the implications for the budget cut, um, which what it means for sensitivity, what it means for, 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 the, for the needs, uh, because certainly. Our, our approach, and, and, and you know what I want us to do, spend a lot of time studio on, is really trying to look at the, this budget vis-a-vis the, the realization of these aspirations. And, and clearly, the, the human development indicators, that shows that there has been improvement in some of the areas, but, but recently we've seen quite a worsening of some development indicators. And the question would be, um, does that relate to the reduction in the spending government, which we were, we've seen some areas, critical areas where Expenses come out quite down, um, even lower. I mean, lower than the the the, uh, um, the inflation, which leads to an, uh, a cut in the expenditure, and and that really leads me to the point about the budget, the needs of the, the is it the needs based budget? Our initial indication in the slides, we realized that there's actually more needs that have come up quite a lot, but some have not been realized, and and there has to be that realization that some of these uh, proposals might actually not. Enough to realize, for the budget to realize some of all for society to realize some of those aspirations for just the social economic, social economic indicators in, in, in that regard. Um, I think I will leave it there and I'll ask um, Dr. Olandi to come in and then um, and, and Dr. Mohammed to come in. Thank you so much, Honorable uh, Chairperson. Dr. Olandi. Thank you, Dumisani. Um, I don't know if Darren can just share the presentation again to talk to slides 23 and 24, Um, just to explain again. Erin, 
Okay. Thank you. Um, slide 23 is the previous one, Darren, please. Yeah, this one. Um, so, Honorable Chairperson, um, when we just look at the exact amounts that has how the um, revenue has been divided in terms of the division of revenue at, if you um, calculate the shares in terms of the allocations, you will see that, in fact, national um, sphere um, is allocated 67% of the entire um, uh, um, budget that is available for division. The provincial is 28 and local government 4.4. But then on a national level, they do a, another subdivision in terms of the conditional grants because that 67% includes the conditional grants that will still be um, allocated to provinces and to local government. It also includes the the debt service costs, it includes the general fuel levy, um, and it also includes the equitable share that will be allocated or further subdivided to local government. So initially, this is how the Division of Revenue Act actually allocate the funds. And then on the next slide, we illustrate um, that of that 67%, of the national share, it's been divided again. And then um, the remaining um, proportion at the national level is 49% after they've um, transferred funds in terms of the conditional grants and the equitable share to local government. So if you include the conditional grants um, on a provincial level, um, it amounts to 41%. So that foot, uh, that a proportion of that comes from the national sphere of government. So then provinces receive 41%, and that includes the conditional grants and the equitable share. And within that 41%, then what the provincial government receive, 82% of that um, is allocated um, in terms of the equitable share, which mainly funds education, health, uh, a small proportion for social and uh, um, in terms of the equitable share formula. And then the conditional grants are just the normal conditional grants, um, which is also mainly for education, health and transport and also agriculture are the main conditional grants for provinces. And then local government, after they've received the um, conditional grants, the total amount that they receive um, from the main budget um, without um, debt service cost is then 9.1%. Um, and within that 9.1% that local government receives, 57% um, is allocated in terms of the equitable share, which is mainly for uh, providing free services to the um, vulnerable families. And 31% of that 9% um, is allocated in terms of conditional grants. Obviously, the grants, um, the allocations that has got conditions um, attached to it. And then um, those amounts will then be transferred from the national um, sphere of government to provincial and local government. So we can even look at the um, the the next slide where we show that um, 
69% in the next slide, Darren, 69% of the provincial sphere are actually transferred Darren, to... Next slide, please. Okay, yeah. So 69% of the total allocation to national votes are transferred to provincial government in terms of uh, conditional grants, to local government in terms of the local government equitable share and conditional grants, but they're also transferred to other institutions like the state-owned enterprises or um, non-profit institutions or universities, for example. And then the next slide, we, we show that the national departments that only transfer to provinces and, and, and local government. This now excludes the other transfers to institutions. So it's just almost like telling the story and the breakdown um, in terms of all the different shares um, from the initial, initial allocation um, in terms of the division of revenue. So I'm not sure if that is clear, Honorable um, yeah, yeah, Chief. Yeah. You're yeah, satisfied? You. Okay, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Dr. Olandi. Dr. Mohammed, are you in, or should I just give to other team members? Just come in, Dr. Mohammed. Yes, I am in. Um, I want to apologize beforehand, and I'm going to turn off my video. In a That's fine, Dr. Second, Mohammed. just to say that problems today. Um, I'm going to be very. Uh, quick and uh, not uh, as comprehensive um, and it'd be a good chance to get as some members refer to our new members as young, younger uh, <laughs> staff and we'll give them an opportunity and, and just to say when you get to our age everybody starts looking younger so we shouldn't <laughs> underestimate them and their abilities based on uh, how young they look. Um, I just wanted to um, to, to, to deal with some of the issues um, and um, just to say you know, the, the, the AGSA has pointed to serious delivery problems within local government and um, I, I think we mentioned it but you know um, less than 30% of municipalities are submitting credible financial statements for audit um, that was in the 2019-2020 financial year um, they say 126 municipalities, almost half, adopted unfunded budgets. And so the question that comes up is, you know, why in spite of the existence of existing regulation institutional frameworks, are municipalities still struggling to satisfy the basic service needs, collect outstanding accounts, and repeatedly passing unfunded budgets? Um, and, and, and yes, that the challenges faced by local governments are systemic. And, other, and, and as uh, we said in this presentation, that perhaps they are based on unrealistic assumptions um, that were made in designing the funding model way back in 1998 in the white paper on local government. <clears throat> and, and I think that the research that we've seen says that um, it, it overestimated the amount of revenue uh, local governments could, could raise um, and um, it assumed that they could raise over 70% of their financing requirements. And this is, I think, had a cumulative impact over a long period of time. 
um, and, and causing budgetary transfers to local government to be inadequate, even if they have in many periods been increasing um, and sometimes increasing more because of need um, over certain periods, it, it, it should be seen within that broader context. Um, there's also the issue of, of um, then uh, the, the, uh, the question was asked about why aren't indigent households uh, getting their services? And the millions of households that are eligible for free services do not get them because local governments provide these only to households that register as indigent and are approved by local governments. However, the criterion system of identifying and registering eligible households seems to be dysfunctional. Um, and also, um, I, I, I don't know how important this is as a factor, but I think I'll raise it anyway, is that the money that's transferred that then don't get spent on, um, on these uh, households that aren't signed up as eligible or aren't uh, given the go-ahead to get those free services, that money goes into um, back into the local government uh, and they possibly spend it on other things. So the... And again, I just want to stress, I don't know how much of, of a factor that is, and we need to do more research on that. Um, we're seeing you know, huge amounts of total debt owed to municipalities. A large share of this is coming from households. And, 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 and we, we worried that one of the reasons that households aren't paying is because so many households that should be eligible but aren't registered are now having to to make a trade-off between paying their bills, um, which can be, you know, like 400 rand a month for electricity, 200 rand a month for water, when the household income of many households in South Africa is, is below that in, in total. And so there's uh, unaffordability, but also many households are having to make a choice between whether to, to pay for food and school or whether to pay for those services. And so, so they, they, I think that's an area linked to the systemic problems that need to be sorted out. And then to think about how those problems affect the, the ability of, of, of local governments to manage. We always hear the issue of wasteful expenditure, inadequate skills, corruption, etc. But But I think those problems get exacerbated by and compounded by the, the, the difficult task of having to manage the balance between providing affordable services, but also um, uh, collecting revenues and struggling to collect revenues and then getting uh, over a long period of time, uh, potentially inadequate um, transfer. So I'm going to, I'm going to stop there and, and uh, the more um, specific questions I'm going to leave to, to my other colleagues as well. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Mohamed. This is you know, come in and in that order and then Tepo and Rashad. Thanks. Um, thank you for that. So I'll just respond to a few of the issues raised. I think critically the issue of um, early childhood development is one that we should be looking at closely. Um, as members would remember, last year there was an announced um, relief funding that would be allocated to basically save um, the ECD sector and 15% of ECD centers were actually at risk of closing shop for good. Um, and to, to note that, um, you know, some of the reports are saying that only 36% of that money was actually um, delivered to those ECD centers. So in thinking about how many students are going to, you know, are eligible or are in this cohort, it's also about thinking about 
the impacts COVID-19 has had on the sector itself, um, because you will have more students in the in the medium term. But at the same time, how many ECD centers will we really have um, if the money has not re provided the relief that it was expected to provide? And um, as of before the budget, it was estimated that about 300 million, I think it was, um, would go back to, um, to National Treasury, which hadn't been allocated to these ECD centers. So there's also this question about money that is announced and how it actually is implemented in that sector. And, and of course, ECD is critical for um, you know, the unpaid care work that we talk about that women and girls largely undertake. I think in terms of the public transport, the value for money question, um, it's really a question about where and who is the service um, providing to, um, because ultimately it's, it's your value for money are people who don't necessarily have access to large public transport system. I mean, if you look at the Western Cape and look at the My City, um, you know, where it goes, it does not go to Kailisha, where we might have higher value for money. Um, so also when we, when we think about these value for monies in terms of public transport, something to deeply consider. And I think, um, you know, there's more to be said about that, but I'll, I'll just stop there for that. Um, I think in terms of the general household survey um, and in terms of data, this is a critical, critical concern um, because a number of, of surveys, and it's not just the general household survey, it's a number of surveys by Statistics South Africa will be discontinued, um, which has massive ramifications for data-led policymaking as well as oversight. Um, because when we look at, you know, at the local level and think about who has access to electricity or not, we will not have this data um, anymore in a detailed fashion. Um, they haven't suspended completely the survey, but they've suspended the detailed version of the survey. So we might see still an outcome there. So but in terms of statistics, um, South Africa and the budget cuts, there are real concerns around oversight and the policymaking process as well. I want to respond quickly to the question about life um, expectancy and child mortality. Um, and to say that these, um, these questions are really, um, we have to look at it in a geographic fashion, right? Spatial apartheid has a real um, implication or for for why certain life mortalities are lower and higher in, in different areas. So in the Western Cape, for example, um, low birth weight, um, you know, at birth, when children are born and have a low birth weight, um, it's largely children who are Black, um, it's largely children in urban areas. And so then the solution would be to say, how do we provision, you know, pregnant women with better um, access to nutrition, to food, to money, to income. So the solutions there would be different. So I want to say that it's not a just drastic shift from 2019-2020 budget per se, but how do we think about um, the, the ecosystem of health, um, you know, outcomes and, and over time, what are the changes to, you know, people's health broadly and the conditions um, that exacerbate those situations. And so to say, we'll probably have to, to think about, to provide you with more data about what is driving um, these various uh, data, child mortality in various locations and, and the driving factors thereof, um, which would warrant different solutions. And then the last comment is to say, I think, you know, we talk about underspend um, and overspend, and both these things happen in the same context, right? So we know that over $6 billion, um, was underspent by municipalities, um, which went back to National Treasury. But at the same time, there's some municipalities that are overspending in certain sectors. Um, and I think what also needs to be asked or thought about 
deeply is the net effect, actually. Um, you know, when you've got both of these um, elements occurring simultaneously. Um, so I'll, I'll stop there. Thank you. Um, over to you, Tepo. Thank you, Mr. Tepo. Can I come in? Uh, thank you very much, Chair uh, and Honorable Members. I think I'll be quite brief, uh, given that uh, my fellow colleagues have covered much of the points. But just to reemphasize the point, and Honorable Members also alluded to the mere fact that there's a need to rethink the funding model, particularly as uh, we spoke about the assumptions that were made in the 1998 white paper on local government, because yeah, a huge part of, of, of the challenges here has to do with the systemic problems as it relates to the funding structure that was put in place. Uh, there was uh, also comments about, for example, the state of municipal finances, which we know as well is a big challenge. And uh, it, uh, the National Treasury has also indicated that uh, the total debt that has been owned by municipalities is to the tune of 261 billion. And of this total figure, we do know that households uh, account for the bulk of this debt. And this simply indicates that poor households are struggling to pay for the ever-increasing services charges. And I think, therefore, the, the conversation about unpaid bills uh, by households and the poor revenue connection uh, by municipalities themselves should also be considered within the country's broader macroeconomic context of extreme poverty, uh, high unemployment, continued sp spatial apartheid, as well as corruption. And yeah, to finally say that I think if these systematic financial and operational challenges uh, are not addressed, then government would simply be setting up municipalities for failure. I think in the past, and uh, some of the members, honorable members also alluded to, to this specific aspect about, I think the norm has always been to pinpoint solely the blame on local government and present them as being incompetent, corrupt, and inefficient. And I guess perhaps the broader questions we should all ask ourselves is why have we allowed the system, this dysfunctional system? And when I mean dysfunctional system, I mean both the financing and the operational aspect of it to continue operating for this long. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Tepo. Rashad, do you want to come in? Uh, no, I have nothing to add. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, before I give you back to chair, I just want to also conclude by some of the few comments, few remarks. To me, Sonny. Uh, yes, Nelia. Uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to add one thing that I didn't say is in terms of um, also the the discussions um, with the Treasury in terms of the division of revenue. Uh, one of the officials indicated that. Um, uh, the, the money isn't used for what the purpose um, for that specific grant or equitable share was. But I also went back to the database and I checked the, the structure of um, municipal budgets. But the structure of how the budget is actually uh, um, set up, it doesn't really provide for uh, this transfer the, the municipality receives from the National Department of Water Affairs for a specific grant. It's almost like the, all the money that is transferred from all the different national departments, provincial departments, the National Treasury, uh, is received in one item. Um, transfers received or um, 
is is the name of the item. So it to me it is obvious that that it actually loses its purpose if it's just or transferred into one specific budget item. Um, I'm not sure if I'm correct. The Treasury may be able to um, to assist us with this, but but on the database that is basically what happens. So the the money that's get transferred in the in the bank account of the municipality actually loses its um, its purpose. Um, so so how does the municipal manager know that this ten rand that they receive for water and sanitation must be spent on water and, uh, and sanitation? So it's just once uh, a technical thing that I've actually noted when I looked at the structure of the budget of municipalities. Thank you, thank you so much, Nidia. Uh, Chairperson, our study really, which I said we did on the review um, last year, uh, local government revenue, it did really show that the, the municipal revenue is sensitive to household uh, uh, income and, and, and business income within the area. Um, and really, the point about change of economic activity in a particular area will have impact on on, on, on the ability of the municipality revenue uh, to find its operational expenditure. And, and, and the question about um, the transition from the renewable or from the coal to renewable, it, it, it raised a question about the discussion, as I said earlier on, about the fiscal framework of the government. Because clearly there will be new industries, firstly, um, you expect them to raise, but, but also that what does that mean for those um, revenue that were, were, were seen as crucial for local government um, service delivery. So uh, certainly our study shows that the municipality revenue it is sensitive to, to the economic activities within the local area uh, in particular. Um, one of the points, Chair and members, I want to raise here, it's, it's really an issue of recognizing that some of the challenges within the, the intergovernmental fiscal framework or inter intergovernmental relations, it's, it is really inherent to the system that we have. Because when you look at the literature, the point that we raised last week in the NCOP strategic discussions, you know, it was a, the, the, the point around understanding that the, the, the entire system, the system that we have of governance has inherent limitations to it. In particular, the fact that we are, we are three spheres of systems, there are some of the challenges that we, we talked about from this morning, we talk about regularly, they are inherent to the fact that we have the three-tier system. Uh, when you look at the, the discussion, I mean, I've, I've done some work here, look at the literature here, certainly some of the emphasis, especially there are fewer uh, countries around the world which has three tier systems. We're one of those countries. But, but, but one of the main challenges, there's four, there's one, three that I raised last week. Firstly is that the nationally developed policies in the three tier systems are not always implemented at, a slow, at the other spheres of government due to mainly... The, the, in part, the, the fiscal power contestations and weaker coordination between the three spheres. There clearly a need to be a very strong coordination between the three spheres. Uh, otherwise, the local government will always have to pick up the bigger chunk of the challenges that affect the entire, the entire system. And I think one of the points raised by FFC last week, um, which was very important, which I want to emphasize around the, the, the post-elections, local government elections that we've seen, we've seen dynamics change in the local government. And such political dynamics or, or societal dynamics does in a way affect 
the uh, municipalities to, to deal with some of the challenges they have, or it leads to more fiscal power contestations that we've seen over, over the years. Also emphasized in the literature. The capable local governments face very important data systems and uh, uh, also to be able to realize the nationally uh, determined uh, outcomes or nationally determined uh, aspirations. So you, we need to have a very capable local government. And clearly, our, there's a lot of evidence that we need to strengthen capacity, both technical capacity, but also administration capacity of the local government to, to deal with it. That is over and above have discussion around fiscal framework itself and the local government. The three-tier system itself um, requires a very important uh, cooperation between the provincial and the local sphere of government to ensure that that fiscal power contestations get minimalized to ensure that local government has quite a bit of a ability to able to implement the, 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 the service delivery complexity and governance measures in place. And also the fact that local government, we, 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 there's a point that raised about um, the spending on, on, on employment expenditure. It is the, the point. Local government and provincial government will have a bigger uh, expenditure on cost of employment uh, because that's where bulk of the services is delivered, and that's you'd expect it that way. But I guess one of the this brings to the point about um, the the I saw yesterday. I was going through some of the uh, uh, presentation. National Treasury has done some expenditure reviews, so it really talks to the point about irregular and how much are we able to get uh, a, a bulk for our spending. And there is a quite evidence that shows that there are areas where spending is actually less efficient. And, and as you said before, I would really encourage the committee to invite the GTEC and National Treasury to share some of the outcomes about the spending reviews to show that actually there is some more stage, some of the system where uh, you need to have, make sure that, I mean, one example I was given there, you find that uh, in a particular province, uh, they've paid twice for a price of a laptop than what it normally, normally, normally costs in, in a normal state. Last point here, uh, before I give back, is the issue of um, the impact of Dora and the site. You know, the government expenditure should be seen beyond just the rent and cents. And, and it's a point that we emphasize, and it says that should be seen beyond that, should also be seen as an economic uh, enabler, but also uh, dealing with some of the challenges that we have, uh, social economic challenges, uh, ensuring stability in the economy, ensuring dealing with some of the social economic but, but also largely as an economic activities to enable the economy to grow. And I think if we see that way, um, it comes to recognize the importance of spending some of these critical areas as we have emphasized. So having poverty, high unemployment, it does have an adverse effect for economy or for society and, and, and broadly. I think I'll stop there, Chair. I think I've cut, I've answered almost, we've answered a lot of the questions um, and we're able to take further input in this card. Thank you so much, Chair, on, on, on that member. Thank you so much. Thank, 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 thank you, um, uh, uh, Doc. Um, uh, Dr. Siraj, just just jump on to the last because I, I uh, Dr. Chanchis has started uh, dealing with it, um, but I think more can come in there. I I said the 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 worsening of unemployment, poverty levels, and uh, uh, inequality. Uh, how much is that the function of the budget or even the division of revenue deal? So I'm, I'm, do you want to come in there? Um, were you talking to me, Honorable Chair, to yeah. Siraj? Yeah. Um, 
Yes, that's right. Okay, thank you. Looking at all the factors um, that affect, um, you know, you know the, the the overall uh, operation of the economy, and then how that affects uh, different households in different uh, parts of the country. Um, but I think over time, and and I think in maybe it was even as early as 2017, National Treasury did say that fiscal consolidation has been a, a, a factor in constraining uh, GDP growth. It's, it was within the budget review, I believe, in that year, and, and PBO did quote subsequently in one of our, the the month that spent. Uh, on providing services ensured functions of of the uh, of the households um, related to the the, the um, transfers and and support given to households and and the fact that there there hasn't been universal um, and comprehensive uh, social security <clears throat> I believe does impact on the overall growth rate of the ability of people to contribute. And so over time, uh, inadequate spending, building on the legacy of, of colonialism and apartheid, uh, at this point, um, I'd have to go into the literature and maybe do some calculations to give you the, the percentages and, and we think, what we think the impact has been, but also to say that has been different across different um, areas. And, and as uh, my colleague Busi said, and, and, and I know the, the differential, uh, Lehigh, yes. Um, I don't know what happened. Are you able to hear me? No, we're, we're really struggling. You were, were quite um, audible at the beginning. Now we was, was, were, were losing you all the way. Um, Sorry, um, I am getting a message that my my uh, internet is unstable um, yeah. on Zoom when I'm speaking. So uh, maybe maybe I should stop and 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 if one of my other colleagues want to come in, we've got a better connection and add to what I've said. I, I apologize, Chair. No, 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 no problem. Um, any of uh, the 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 uh, the PPO team would like to add on what. Uh, uh, Dr. Janchis and, and Dr. Siraj had said on the matter. You don't have to. Do you want to add, Rashad? Do you want to add? Rashad? No, I have nothing to add. Thank you. All right. No, thank you, Chair. Um, we'll, we'll stop there, uh, but we'll expand in, in writing in, in, on the specific points. Chair. We do apologize. The 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 load shedding has took us off credit. Yeah, yeah. It it, it impacts uh, this load shedding thing impacts all our lives. Eh? Yeah. So thank you so much for Okay. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Dr. Chanchis and the and and the and the team. Um, thank you very much for the input, and uh, also like also like to thank the the honourable members for. Uh, there are questions and there are uh, uh, comments on uh, the. Sorry, on the chair. 
Yes. I saw Honorable Shrokken had his hand up unless there are listeners. Is that Honorable? Honorable Shrokken. Honorable Shrokken, please come in. Chair, I was covered by a letter comment by one of the PBO members, so I took my hand down. Thank you. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Okay. Now, um, I, I was saying then this uh, 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 brings to an end the, pre the, pre the presentation um, by, by PBO, uh, but we are still continuing with our, mes our message. Thank you very much, uh, uh, colleagues from uh, uh, PBO. Uh, we are still continuing with our, uh, our, our meeting. The next agenda item is this. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Let's, let's, let's go to the minutes. Um, let's go to the minutes, all members. Can we go to the minutes of the 24th of February, 2022? They were sent to us. Do I have the mover for the adoption of the minutes? Matafa, I move chair. Yes, 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 Matafa, can I have uh, the seconder? Seconder, chair. Lenza. Honorable Lenz and a second. Um, we'll adopt the minutes of the 24th of February 2022. Can we go to the minutes of the 1st of March 2022? They were also sent to us. Move for the adoption if there's no correction. Chair, okay, I move uh, for adoption of the minutes. Honorable Paiso uh, is moving for the adoption. Seconder. Mlenzana. Or Mlenzana seconds for the adoption of the minutes. The minutes of the 1st of March 2022 are duly adopted. Can we go to agenda item number six? Uh, Darren, any announcements from your side? Chairperson, uh, yes, just a reminder of tomorrow's meeting with the FFC. FFC will be the committee on the division of revenue. I'm going to send the link um, before 12. Okay. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much, uh, 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 Darren. Uh, from my side, honorable members, um, uh, the, the team is preparing for our oversight, uh, uh, our oversight uh, a trip to, to Houting. And there's information that they need from us. Um, as you know, there are a lot of processes in terms of approval of that. Can you please make sure that they get all the information that they require from us? Is that, is that fine, Terry? Yes, Chairperson, that is fine. Thank you. Yeah. So that we can, we can finalize that. Uh, that was agenda item number six. This takes us to the end of, of, of the meeting. And once again, thank you very much uh, to everybody who was on the platform. The meeting is adjourned. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Thank you, thank you, thank you, colleagues. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, thank you, thank you. See you tomorrow or in the afternoon, Chess. In the afternoon, Chair. Thank you. Yeah. What do you think?